Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of the Offsite Podcast, where we chat all things construction and technology. My name's Carlos Cavallo. And I'm Jason Lancini. G'day, Carlos. How are you doing today? Pretty good, until I just said the word chat in a really weird way. <laughs> How are you doing? That's it. That's the take. We're sticking with it. Um, I'm good. Uh, I'm, I'm stuck at home. I'm working today while well, I was supposed to be on holiday. Uh, our little son has come down with an illness, which meant we weren't able to go camping. But it does mean we get to record a unplanned podcast episode. So it swings around. For anyone listening, Jason takes less holiday than Elon Musk. So uh, it was a big thing for him to take the week up. So yeah, you're going to have to rebook that, I think. I <laughs> not just like I'll get out Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll find a good weekend, uh, maybe an afternoon or a weekend to take off calls. Sounds good. Uh, and you've been traveling around? Yeah, this week's trip was up to Birmingham. I uh, went to visit the team that are going to be delivering the Curzon Street station. So at the end, the other end of HS2, or I should say the other end, the midpoint of HS2. That's a bit of a contentious statement to say it's the end. Yeah, awesome team. That was a uh, Freudian got us kicking off soon. So yeah, looking good. Wonderful. And uh, I think um, the week before you were over in Europe, across, I think we spoke about this this in the previous episode. But you were, you were heading over to Germany and and uh, to Denmark. Uh, was there anything that you you know on one of Europe's largest infrastructure projects, and then uh, then a week later on one of the UK's largest? Was there anything that sort of jumped out at you as the same or or different between them? Yeah. So the project over in Europe, and I won't compare it to High Speed Two that I was at the other day. They're like kind of pre-construction small team. It's not in full flow. But if I think about it in comparison to say Crossrail, which obviously we experienced for a long time, the first difference. I guess was quite on the sort of culture sides of things. You walk through their office and it's super quiet. And it reminded me of uh, when we were on Crossrail, there was this idea or view that a quiet office was not a good thing because it should be like this buzz, people shouting, this high energy sort of environment. And this was the complete opposite where everyone is quietly working. Like a Wolf of Wall Street. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not quite the, uh, yeah, the band and the music and everything going on. But yeah, it was, the difference was crazy. But everyone was just sort of quietly getting on with their work. It was very like calm and relaxing. And I think Denmark and sort of Scandinavian countries are naturally quite sort of, they seem like quite relaxed, calm, happy individuals, like compared to the sort of high stress London project environment. But the difference was mad. Rob actually said, Rob came along with me, that it actually reminded him more of the projects he visited in Australia. So is that, does that sound familiar to you? If you compare it to like Crossrail, which you worked on? I would say the total opposite, actually. Like um, Australian projects, there's normally people like shouting over. If I want any call with any Australian project, uh, they have to constantly go on mute or unmute because as soon as they come off mute, there's like, it's like they're on like an old school trading floor from like the New York Stock Exchange. There's like people just shouting over each other. Like, have you got that order yet? You know, yeah. buy high, whatever, the- you know. Uh, so I'd say it's like the total, total opposite. To if, if you went to some uh, calm, productive, quiet office where people were just smashing through work without yelling at each other, that's totally foreign to me, Carlos. <laughs> yeah. I was surprised when he said it. So maybe he just saw a particularly quiet office because... I know uh, Australians and no aren't quiet, probably colourful language. So I was pretty surprised when he did mention that. 
Um, another really nice thing they did, which I just can't imagine happening in the UK, but they have communal meals. So each day everyone says, yeah, I'm happy to have like the meal. And then everyone just digs into these communal plates and pours a plate and sits down and, and eats together, which yeah. is nice. I can imagine in the UK. I think that's, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it was really nice. In the UK, you'd have half of the team not paying and taking it anyway. You'd have like <laughs> some people taking way too much and it would yeah. all be a bit chaotic, I can imagine. But um, it gave it a really nice sort of, yeah, real team feeling. But more on the construction side of things then. The team definitely felt lean, considering the size and scale of the project. There aren't hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of office staff in the same way that we did on like Crossrail, for example. And I guess part of it could be contract. Uh, part of it is everything is very well structured. They actually had data that flowed through different aspects of the project, feeding reports. Everything was automated. There's just people sort of clicking a button at that time each month and things were being done automatically. So they put a lot of heavy investment in how they structured project processes and reports early on. It felt like, and the feedback from them is it wasn't time intensive. So they really were spending their time out on site and thinking, how can we do things differently and optioneering rather than this sort of firefighting kind of office that environment that I'm, I guess I'm used to. Did, did it feel like, uh, like, cause you got to walk around, yeah, like an enormous construction site with a scale of, of scale of construction that's um, hard to really fathom or explain yep. while we're talking now, but was it, did it feel like that energy, there was, a, there was things happening on site, like, or was that the same as the office, like quiet, productive? No, so one thing that was really apparent walking around site was like everyone's PPE was clean. It was not a new job. Everything was clean. The site was extremely tidy. Everyone's very polite. You sort of talk to them and they're all very knowledgeable about everything that's happening around them. Not to suggest people on site here aren't that knowledgeable, but it's a bit more chaotic. There's lots of things going on. You wouldn't disturb a gang because they're fully invested in what they're doing. Whereas this is very, they were kind of conscious that there's a guest there and they wanted to interact with you. Considering the scale of the project, everything just seemed so sort of well-oiled. It was like this conveyor belt of activities and, and, and things going on that was just so well thought through. It was just really impressive to walk around. It felt like uh, the closest thing to like a production line that I've ever seen, like a, it's like a car factory kind of set up. To then pull you to, I guess, a more controversial topic. When you guys came back from that trip, you said uh, that site feels like there's like almost 10 times more things happening on site than the typical UK mega project uh, or even comparing to like Crossrail. What, what do you think drives that? Like whether it's, let's just assume that's true. It may or may not be true, but let's say that that assumption or that impression was correct. What do you think drives that? There's a lot of people talking all about how like construction productivity in the UK, we've spoken about it in previous episodes with different reports, looking at like construction productivity in the UK as like, as a problem. We've also looked at like a report from that, uh, the, the Tony Blair Institute that looked at how projects were inefficiently delivered. If you were to, point to like one thing or the, the number one thing that you felt that was different about what was driving productivity there versus what you see in the UK, what, what would it be? I think there was a real benefit from not having hordes of people. It's a lot easier to control your messaging and narrative, align everyone on these common goals when you do have a lean team where everyone is sort of high performing. That sounds really qualitative in terms of an answer, and it's quite hard to put a pin on it, but Everyone really knew their job, but everyone had a good understanding of everyone else's jobs. And I think it's really hard to achieve that when you've got 
hundreds of people on a, in a project office, that messaging is really difficult. And I don't know if that's a cultural I don't thing, know if it's the same. a contractual thing or a coincidence that they just have a great team. It's really hard to distinguish that. I think reflecting on the conversation that you had and, and, and Rob from our team had when, when you guys came back and, and the parallels he drew to, to Australia, I thought a lot about like what it was like in terms of productivity on, on major UK projects versus Australia and trying to work out. I, I, do, I definitely feel like the amount of work done per person, like per hour of work, the, the amount of output, like the, the measure of productivity does feel you know, qualitatively lower there. And there's probably like a ton of reasons for that. And there's probably uh, half the people that will listen to this that disagree with them. When I think about one of the really obvious and tangible differences uh, that I felt between those two regions is the relationship between the parties and the parties being like the client and the contractor and the subcontractors. I definitely feel that there's more of this like us stem mentality in the UK which that mentality is always somewhat present because everyone has their own employer. There is, there's a contract in place. Companies are taking risks for certain elements of the delivery of the project. But the UK, in certain situations, it felt like that was heightened to the point where for some people on the project, it almost doesn't matter like what's happening on site. It's like all about the, are we sending this letter? Are we arguing this cost? Are we? And I don't know if you would agree with that. And, and if you don't, why not? And if you you know, what do you think drives that? This uh, particular scheme, they refer to the client as the owner, which is not common in terms of how we've described that relationship in the UK, but it was very positive. They definitely make decisions collaboratively together. It's definitely this, a lot of projects say here, this one team approach trying to deliver something, but in reality, there's a lot of friction and, and difficult relationships, but it just seems like a very positive relationship, not just with their owner, but their supply chain. And I don't obviously know the ins and outs of how they got to that relationship or whether it's standard sort of culture in projects in those particular countries, but that definitely gave them, none of them in the way they were speaking were very contractually pessimistic, <laughs> I guess is the thought there. Um, you constantly have that mindset on projects that I've been on of, are we getting screwed from above or below? <laughs> you never just assume that it's just this, this thing that benefits everyone and generates value for all yeah again it's hard to put a pin on it because yeah for me like not to like yeah not to let's i'll just i'll just say it. i'll take a position i like for me i think the nec contracts very skeptical like they're supposed to be something that drives collaboration on projects but when i compare those contracts to to what my prior experience was in, in australia before moving to the uh, and we i don't know whether that project visited was on an EC contract that probably assumed not I just find that under those contracts the ratios of people that are managing construction work to those managing like the business of construction is like totally out of whack yeah the strict nature of NEC that drives contractors it goes into this like death spiral like it the strict nature of NEC contracts drives contractors to like throw paperwork at each other you know like contractor throws paperwork at the client with notices and letters and then because so many of the mechanisms have strict timeouts on them, you can almost run this like inundation strategy where if they don't have enough people to answer all the letters and the responses that you can just keep throwing more paperwork at them and some of them will get through because they'll... they'll Is that a legal tactic, bury them in paperwork? Yeah, yeah. And it does feel like that that is a strategy that some contractors 
and not even just contractors, clients, like it is a strategy that I've seen like almost like employed on, on projects in the UK. But then that like then starts this next step, which is okay, well, to not run the risk of like losing out on a change or something because we didn't respond in the right time or with the right letter or, you know, in the right format. That forces teams to like add more resources, usually in the role of like quantity surveyor. Then those resources are like overhead to the project. They need to justify or recover their costs. So they just throw more paperwork because they need to like justify the value of, of that overhead and recover that money. And then you just get into this like paperwork death spiral. So for me, I don't like those contracts. The best projects I've ever worked on in any country are where there's a contract signed between two parties. And then when the team go to deliver it, it's put to one side and the team like muck in and try and deliver the project together. And obviously there are disagreements. People try to work out the disagreements reasonably. And if they can't, then the contract comes out. I find that NEC forces you to go contract first and relationship like second. It's a really weird concept to have contractual collaboration. Like imagine having a contract with your wife or your girlfriend about this relationship will work because it's in, it's in writing here, what we will do to make it work. It's really, it seems really strange, yeah. doesn't it? The solution, yeah. the solution to our relationship is whenever we've got an issue, we'll send each other a letter saying we've got an issue and then you have to respond to my issue in 28 days saying, yeah. I've thought about your issue and we've resolved it or whatever. It's a ridiculous yeah, yeah, yeah. And idea. If, and, if, and if you reject it, you need to give me three, one of these reasons why. <laughs> three, re yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just a, it's, I just think it, do, it doesn't work. I don't want to be like, the, yeah, I hate it. I was yeah. escalated from like, at the start, I was like, I thought it's like a little bit bad. I'm just out there saying I hate it. Yeah, yeah. I love how you sort of, sort of raise the topic subtly and in your mind, you're just, you're inflamed screaming hate. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, let's get off that topic before we, uh, before we, uh, before it escalates even further. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about today was um, I'd shared with you the other day uh, this list. So Semex Ventures, which is a like a corporate venture arm of uh, the company Semex, they do this top fifty construction technology startups list every year, and like uh, it's a bit of a beauty contest. Yeah, I would say that like both because like we didn't make the list Carlos uh, in when we started, but, um, but also we're not that good looking, but the top 50 startups uh, from this year is what I shared with you. I thought it might be interesting to like go through that together because obviously the ideas have evolved a lot in the last few years. There's a lot more AI stuff. There's a lot of different ideas that are, that are weren't existing two years ago. And I thought it might be a nice idea if we both reviewed and then, and then maybe picked what we thought is the like, most interesting or something that we could you know we think we could see on on projects you know broadly on projects i'm sure all of them have customers and stuff but broadly on projects in some point in the future so so i can stop talking for a moment do you want to go first i did the exact same thing as you which was open the document scroll down see the list and go where the fuck is apex <laughs> we don't we don't do ai so you can't make these lists these no. days <laughs> No, the, and, and to be honest, like, uh, I think our window to make it as pass, you have to be like quite early to, to make these list casts. That's at least how I justify it. But also that in this, uh, year, they, they were looking for people specifically or companies specifically in, uh, I think they said four categories. The categories were green construction, enhanced productivity, which is quite broad, construction supply chain. I guess that's also 
quite broad and future of construction, which in reality, all those even broader, super broad. Um, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> so, so yeah. What, which, which of the, the 50 jumped out to you? Uh, so I'm going to caveat my answer with, I did not review 50 companies, but I did, I did pick out five to 10 and have a flick through and saw what I thought was the best. Um, one that jumped out is uh, okay, called. So this is sexiest name. This is sexiest name competition, then, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you had a if you had a bad name and a dreadful logo, then I wasn't having a look. So Sybils.ai, it is a platform that allows you to give effectively access to all of your data, your models, your the wealth of information that we have on projects, and you can query it, and it will provide you answers, and it will give you answers in the context of the model, not just written answers. So Nothing new. There's lots of apps that will allow you to query big data sets, but obviously it's a specific one for construction. I think I can see this doing particularly well. And I think we discussed this a number of weeks ago where a lot of contractors and even large schemes have this real big problem with, and just to pick one small aspect of it, best practice. They have thousands of documents across companies that have best practice examples or processes or ideas. They're all saved in the likes of SharePoint and other dreadful systems, which are just documents in folders within folders. So trying to find information that's relevant out of those is really difficult. So I can imagine plugging in a system like this to that makes it extremely easy to pull out relevant information from the topic at hand. So if you're doing a concrete pour and you want floating concrete or whatever that niche might be, you're going to find that relevant information really quickly. But then more broadly on projects, I mean, navigating Akinex and the other systems that we used to use, it is quite time consuming. You're screwing around with filters, you're changing your search names. To have something that actually understands a question and to produce an answer, you'd, you'd bet on it being a huge time saver. Yeah, that was my, that was my pick out of the crowd. Yeah, the, the data is definitely like project data, especially in the construction phase, is definitely not optimized for any sort of use of that data in any meaningful way. I don't know if you've had this, but on, on, on a previous project back in Australia, produce whatever document it was in, you know, in Word or in some office tool, and then print it to a PDF, we'd attach it to some uh, document management type system. And then uh, on the client side, they would print it out, physically print it out. They would take it around the office to each of the people that needed to approve or document, and they would hand write up markups on there. And then they'd get literally a big old physical stamp that like smash it with this big stamp and then put like code two, not approved. And then <laughs> scan that up, send it back to you. And by the time you, <laughs> but sometimes that these documents needed to go to people in like three different countries. Uh, so it might've had to go to Australia and then to like Thailand and then maybe the US somewhere. So by the time it's been like printed and re-uploaded three times and it comes back to you, you're, you're literally left with like, yeah, something that looked like it was taken from like a photo from a potato in order to read like what you were, what exactly the comments on this document are. About. And so if this company can like somehow read that, good on them, that's brilliant. Yeah. The thing that annoys me about it is we're almost letting SharePoint off the hook for being terrible because... You can just continue to do SharePoint as you do now, and this system's going to do uh, the, the difficult part, which is give you relevant information. Yeah, yeah. It makes, makes use of SharePoint in its current form a little less difficult. What did you pick out? 
Yeah, the one I chose and looked at was called Oculi. Uh, it's a company from Germany, and uh, I think it's quite cool. So they basically start with a camera system. So they set up, like you'll set up cameras that overlook your site. So think like a building project, maybe on a nearby, maybe on, on the, on the, um, on the mast of the tower crane or something uh, overlooking the project. And then they have um, an artificial intelligence engine, which will watch, basically record all the video of all the work that's happening day, night, you know, night vision and stuff. And then it has an AI engine, which will track people, plants, and the actual work that they're performing and turn that into sort of structured data. So, you know, people, you know, how many people on site, and and the bit that got me super interested was that they claim to be able to progress the schedule from the video feed. So to say that this activity is, you know, 80% complete or 70% complete or 100% complete or whatever. There is obviously all sorts of problems with like certain work that you can't see with cameras and, and there'll be things obscuring the video. And, you know, you could probably see that you poured 70% of the concrete on a floor or something. And that's kind of, you could imagine how that worked, but. But in general, I find this a super exciting area. And we, and we know people working to, to build similar things uh, in the UK. Yeah, that's interesting. The progress part, I was talking to a Langer Rock project the other day, and they have a handheld device. I'm pretty sure it's Build Dots. You walk through and it will progress based on what it can see. Um, so it will show you how complete something is or when it is actually complete. Yeah, the actual labor and plant is such a big question mark at the moment on most sites. Like no one's effectively done it yet in a, in a proper way. So that's really interesting. There is one contractor that comes to mind that's working on something at the moment. I won't name it, but it's definitely a, a valid space, particularly when we think in the context of our customers, actually knowing what everyone was doing without having to manually write that down in the site diary is a bit of a, a game changer, not just from progress updates, but understanding your burn. Yeah. And building that record. Giant black hole. And I spoke to, I spoke to someone that works for one of the biggest, uh, like forensic analysis firms for construction contractors the other day. And told me that still like when projects go to dispute and they end up with, you know, hiring them to do the forensic analysis, one of the, they still spend like the vast majority of their time recreating records from, you know, manual, you know, QA records or like the remnants of site diaries and just having better feeds of data, whether it's from video or sensors or something has all sorts of flow on benefits, not just the like, oh, we can progress the schedule, we can see how there's just like you have a, a, a new I don't know if you ever store like cameras at your house cars, but like once you do it, it's like you would never go back. You know, you're away somewhere and you go, oh, I want to just check if I, you know, the house is safe. You can just pull up the app or whatever. Once you do that, it's like you never go back to the other way. Yeah. It's really difficult to adjust backwards with things like that. I think that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Thanks, Carlos.